guys need to take a clue right here, right? We all should be buttoned up, so. Awesome. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles, um, we're going to start our night tonight in James, and we'll probably spend uh, a while in James. And the thing that we're going after is all about those little nice things that we tuck away in these little hidden boxes of our, our faith and of our, our walk. And uh, last week we talked about bitterness and how that's the, a secret killer among us and how that can take our joy and totally ruin us. And uh, I was uh, hanging with a buddy yesterday, and, and we we're talking about forgiveness. And about how, for, how forgiveness is not dependent on someone apologizing to you. Forgiveness does not mean someone comes to you and then you forgive them. Forgiveness happens between you and God. And, and uh, I was talking to a buddy, and he's like, yeah, I forgive people for very selfish reasons. And I'm like, what? And uh, he's like, yeah, if, if I don't forgive someone, that means they're always with me, like owning me in my dome, you know, that they're always there owning your life. And he's like, so I forgive people no matter what, because I don't want them, uh, I don't want that with me. And I thought that was so funny, and uh, it's such a good perspective on it. Uh, and tonight we're going to talk about attitude, and about your circumstances, and, and I like to tease uh, my buddies of, if they're going to do something, I'll kind of say, are you champ or chump, you know, and, and it's kind of my little annoying way of, of trying to call someone out to do something. I'm, I like to pressure people into doing things uh, that maybe they don't like to do. Uh, so uh, tonight we're, we're going to talk about champ or chump, and that has to do with all about how you deal with your circumstances and how you deal with your life right now. And uh, how many of you guys have, like, really um, pessimistic people in your family? Or maybe you're a pessimistic, you know? Everyone knows that, right? Uh, maybe you didn't raise your hand. Maybe you're that pessimistic person. Uh, but I don't know if you guys seen, like, Saturday Night Live. They have, like, the Debbie Downer. And it's like, whoever's, like, talking about something, there's always a wah, 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 you know? Someone totally like, kills it. And, uh, and so... I think that's really indicative of, of our culture, and there's even this business, and they make millions of dollars out of kind of poking fun about how discouraging, uh, you know, some of us can be at life. And there's this website called despair.com, and I actually love these posters. You seem like you walk into a, uh, uh, into like an office, and it has like a picture of like this whole entire rowing team, and they're all going together. It's like teamwork, you know, we're all stronger together, and some other junk like that. And, um, there's a company that, that does these spoofs on them, making fun of, like, the opposite. And they look like they're really inspiring and really encouraging. And you got to read the captions because they're hilarious. And I have one on my desk, and it says, Consulting. If you cannot be part of the solution, there's good money in prolonging the problem. And I love that. Um, so we have a few of them, and just to kick off, uh, maybe this is you tonight, maybe this is the attitude that you have. Adversity, that which does not kill me postpones the inevitable. Is that right? Defeat. For every winner, there are dozens of losers. Odds are you're one of them. <laughs> Dreams. I love this one. Dreams are like rainbows. Only idiots chase them. <laughs> uh, this is hilarious. Dysfunction. The only consistent feature of all your dissatisfying relationships is you. <laughs> Ouch, right? Failure. When your best just isn't good enough. <laughs> Hazards. There is an island of opportunity in the middle of every difficulty. Miss that, though, and you're pretty much doomed. <laughs> Laziness. Success is a journey, not a destination, so stop running. <laughs> what else? Limitations. We got a penguin there. Until you spread your wings, you'll have no idea how far you can walk. <laughs> Mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. <laughs> Persistence. 
Maybe this is for the fellas here. It's over, man. Let her go. <laughs> Do we have another one? Is that it? All right, that's it. So we had a really difficult time in just pulling down only a few of them. And, uh, and so that's, that's hilarious. Um, quick little side note, there's a, a red Honda in the parking lot with the door open, lights on inside the car. Red Honda, if you drove a red Honda, and that sounds like you, heads up. So um, we want your car to be safe and have a full battery. Alrighty, so maybe you're one of those individuals where um, that you're kind of like discouraged about the circumstances of life, and it's, it's often easier to look at the bad than it is at the good. And I think a lot of us, maybe, as we look at the text tonight, we're going to be in James 1, and, and the, the apostles and disciples, when we talk about persecution and trial and tribulations, these are men that were imprisoned, that they had their lives threatened. I mean, we are talking about the worst of the worst circumstances for them. And so when they say trials, you know, it's a, it's a pretty substantial meaning. And maybe for us, we live in America, we're not persecuted for our faith, we're not persecuted for what we believe necessarily. Um, none of us are being thrown in prison in America uh, for going to church. But maybe there's a trial that we all make a mountain out of a molehill, and maybe that is the unmet expectations of your life. And though you might not have, you know, the worst thing that, that happens to you, you know, some tragedy, some sickness, some disability, something happens to you, and the circumstances are really bad. What if your trials for you, instead of all that, is just unmet expectations of your life? This isn't the job I wanted. This isn't the relationship I wanted. I never expected this. I never expected that. I never expected to have a divorce. I never expected to be working here. You know, maybe, maybe the, the trials that we get so consumed with happen to be unmet expectations. And so this message applies for whether we have difficulties that are, are, are tremendous hardships, but also a critical eye to look at us about how we're maybe making mountains out of molehills about our circumstances. Psalm 19.33 says, Lord, keep me from the sin of presumption. Keep me from the sin of presumption. What does that mean? That means is that when we have an expectation of what God's going to do and we get so focused on it, when it doesn't happen, we completely rebel and we, we overreact. I don't have kids, but um, I remember being as a kid and being around other kids that if something didn't happen the way they wanted to, do you remember like they'd go limp, you know, and it's like that was like their passive-aggressive way. It's like, perfect, they're now limp, you know, and it's like, it's their way of pouting. And tonight I want to address the issue maybe that we've all kind of gone limp in an area of our life. Things aren't working out the way we want. Instead of like fighting through it and having the right attitude, we just, you know, go limp and, and pretend we're dead. My wife was a counselor at a youth camp, and so kids would do that to her all the time, and she just would drag them and, you know, force them to go, which is totally like my wife if you know her. So with that said, let's, uh, let's jump in the text. So, and we could use a little prayer right now, right? So, um, so God, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for, God, the truths that you want to reveal to us tonight, and God, I just pray that every truth that you have for us tonight would go forth undefiled, unmanipulated, God, the purest form of truth, we just embrace it, we look to it, Lord, and we put our hope and trust only in you. And Lord, forgive us for the attitudes that we come, God, with life, with you, and uh, help us to understand more of you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at 18 short little verses here uh, in James. I'm just going to read it through one time, and we're going to break it off piece by piece really quick and just get into it. 
It says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstance, ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat with, and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of all he created. So let's jump back and, and look, look at the first two uh, verses in, in two and three. It says, consider it pure joy. Consider it. Consider it means that there's an option that we have. And consider means that we have power. We have the ability, we have the jurisdiction of ourselves to control our circumstances. That doesn't mean that your circumstances you're going through right now are not bad. They can be bad, but the Bible tells us to consider it as joy. To take the ownership that we have, responsibility, power, and autonomy to interpret our circumstances however we choose. However we choose, we have the control over our attitude. And one of the things I think that maybe he's saying here is, it's not as bad as you think. You ever wonder that? Is that some crazy circumstances happen, and you're looking at it, and you've got to think to yourself, it's not as bad as I think. Has God ever let you down? Have you ever been in a situation where God totally blew it and bummed you out and, and left you hanging? No. If you look through things, is your attitude, oh man, this is, this is horrible, what am I going to do? Or do you have the attitude and mindset of, I cannot wait to see how God figures this out? I have an interesting business predicament. We had this long-time advisor and investor, and, and uh, he put a lot of money into an adventure and structured in this investment kind of deal where he could call it at any time if we needed. And the plan was to pay it out of the profits. And we got an email this past week. By the way, I'm calling the investment. Please let me know the plan that you have to return the money. Perfect. It is a ton of money. And you get to look at it, and you're like, okay, great. Do you stress out? Do you begin to the sky is falling, oh my gosh, or do you get to look at it and say, okay, God, over all the crazy circumstances, you've always provided. You've always made a way through. You've always taken care of my needs, and so I look forward to how you are going to unwind the situation. I consider it joy that, Lord, I get a front row seat for your hand moving in this work. <laughs> consider it as joy. 
Consider as pure joy. Verses 4 and 5. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be, be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. It's interesting, these first several verses up until, well, most of the, this entire passage, it's talking about tries and tribulations, but he's focusing all on character attributes of us. Isn't that funny? He's not giving you, like, ways to manage your crisis. He's not talking about what to do or how to respond. He's like, this is who your character should be. And one of the things he says is that maybe the circumstances you're going through is a process that's going to perfect your character. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. That means that no matter what the circumstances we have, they're contributing to the wholeness of the character God wants for us. That means is that what the, the environment we are in is instrumental to becoming who God wants us to be. And it says to ask wisdom. Wisdom that, that God would give us circumstances. And what do we do? We say, why God? That's not, that's not what God wants. When something happens, we're not supposed to go to, to God and say, why is this happening? Our attitude should be, God, give me clarity on this. Show me where you are in this. Show me where I find your face, your heart, your presence, your plan for me. Would you grant me wisdom for the circumstances? Would you grant me guidance through it? Not, God, shake your fist. Why is this happening? So we, we see here that, that, that James is, is concerned about two primary things. It's character and wisdom. Character and wisdom, your trials, your tribulations, your circumstances, your bad attitude, it's all about your character and your wisdom. Now, interesting about wisdom, if you read the Psalms or Proverbs or any of those at all, you'll hear repeatedly after uh, each other is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so he says, if you ask for wisdom, God's going to give it to you. Well, what is the precursor to wisdom? Fear of the Lord. What is fear of the Lord? It's fear of the Lord, oh my gosh, don't smite me with a lightning bolt. No, that's not fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is total and complete trust in who he is. Total and complete trust that he is exactly who he said he is and that he has a plan and a purpose. That is fear of the Lord. You have an almighty recognition that that creator of the universe is omnipotent, is all-knowing, is all-sovereign, and that you trust and believe it with your entire heart. That is the fear of the Lord. And without that, you can do nothing. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe God is who he says he is, if you don't believe the stack of dead trees, then you're wasting your time. Because it all starts with there. Fear of the Lord provides wisdom. And God says, if you want wisdom, ask me for it. But the catch is, when you ask for it, there's a key component here. Verse 6. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Doubt means that you're not trusting in God. Doubt means that you do not trust in the Lord, that you do not have the fear of the Lord, that you don't have that wisdom of who God is. A couple interesting things about doubt is if you, if you don't trust, then there's no fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and wisdom extinguishes doubt. Wisdom extinguishes doubt. That is the, the component here that we need to understand, is that God gives us the ability to give us a pathway in which to extinguish our doubt. We need to trust him, because trust is fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord brings wisdom, and wisdom takes care of all the doubt. 
And it says that a man who doubts is like a man tossed by the winds and the seas. He's unstable. I think that this is completely accurate. That doubt leads us to instability. And when instability comes, it leads to analysis. And analysis leads to paralysis. This is really key. Doubt leads to instability. Instability leads to analysis. Analysis leads to paralysis. Analysis by paralysis. You guys ever hear that? Burned in your mind now. Analysis leads to paralysis, and that's all predicated on your doubt. When you begin to doubt, you begin to think of all these worst-case scenarios, right? You always think of these things like, oh, man, oh, it's, it's going to be horrible. Oh, this is going to be terrible. Oh, what do I do? What do I do? And you begin to fabricate the worst-case scenarios for your life. And it's interesting because I, I think that what that does when you begin to engage in, in those worst-case scenarios is they begin to build something called a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're like, nothing's going to go good, my job is going to stink, this is horrible, I mean, you, your, your beliefs and your attitudes are going to make that a reality. If you hate it wherever you live, and that's all you can focus on, you're going to have a miserable time there. We know people that, you know, moved here or are here for jobs or school or whatever, and in Sacramento, for whatever reason, you know, people, if they come from other places, they, you know, kind of pick on Sacramento. I get that. Uh, there's obviously awesome places in the world to live, and, and I get that. But I, I have uh, individuals in my life that they, all they can focus on is get out of Sactow. You know, they, they just want to move. And they think that all their problems will go away as soon as they move. And in the meantime, they're completely sabotaging everything they want because they have, they have told themselves that nothing is going to go good for them here. And so they invest in no relationships. They don't invest in, in Christ. They don't invest in anything because they are determined that their happiness is over there. And so they begin to fulfill their own prophecy for themselves by making themselves miserable. It's interesting because I think that in the worst case scenarios in these, these self-fulfilling prophecies that doubt will keep you hostage and captive to those worst case scenarios. As long as you have doubt in your mind, you're going to be handicapped to those worst case scenarios and you're always going to be thinking. And they're always scenarios. It's not like they ever, you know, come true, right? It's always worse in your head. And somehow if you work and, and you believe that God's going to move, he, he always does. At least for me he has. And you walk into it with some, some blind faith, but God hooks it up. Verse 9. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Ouch. For someone who's been in business, that's a little scary. But I think what he's trying to say is that God gives and God takes away. You know, I remember getting into business, and I started my own business in about 04 or so. And the hot thing then was, get your real estate license. There's your, we're burning money. It's so amazing, you know. And, and the big hype was, was getting real estate, real estate, real estate, real estate. And, you know, I bought the books. I was like, yeah, you know, like you kind of get swayed. I've always really wanted to do that, you know. And you're kind of seeing everybody make money, and it's like suddenly your, your desires and your interests change, you know. And, um, and so I, I think what's important is we look now, we see, okay, yeah, tons of people made tons of money. That, that's awesome for that market, but man, how things change. It's a bummer. I, I know a lot of individuals that, you know, you, you 
we live and die on that vine. And it's not because God comes and he punishes those who have wealth or have money just because that's how sometimes it goes. God gives and he takes away and it's not up to us. And so I think the, the truth that we have here is that you're in high position. Don't have your eyes too high that you don't see the stone before your feet that you might fall and trip. Don't be tram, you know, triumphing down the street with, with all your successes and just being like, I'm invincible, this is amazing, you know, and always up here and all of a sudden something changes and it's gone. That wealth is something that, that's, you know, God can, can bless you through wealth, but also God can have markets change. There's stock market crashes. There's things that are beyond our control. And it's here and gone the next day, possibly. And when we put all of our hope in something like that, it, it sets us up for destruction. So the text is saying, if you are rich and, and you have uh, amazing wealth, is to take pride in the low places. Take pride in that you were a sinner you are a man that God blessed you with and that you hold it onto a loose grip. And that is the truth here, is to hold things onto a loose grip. And I also want to say about it, if you're on the bottom scale, if you are in the poverty scale, if you will, right, if we're going to swing all the way, is it have a loose hold on that because God might want to take you out of that too. Who knows? God might totally hook you up. And so the other component is, is when you are maybe in a circumstance where you don't have a whole lot of money or you're in a position where you know, your circumstances are lower in comparison to those guys, is to not always focus in on your feet and to focus in on how terrible it is around you because you might be missing the opportunity that would be if you looked up. You don't want to be either this or that. God gives and takes away. And I love it because Philippians, Paul, in chapter 4, says this beautifully and sums it all up. He says, I have learned to be content no matter the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You see, even Paul himself went through those balances and that, the swing from one side to the other. He says, I know the secret. I know what it is. I know regardless of this or that, I know the secret. And he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And Paul is saying, no matter what the outcome, it starts and ends with Jesus. Verse 12, let's continue. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Everyone say trial. trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. If you have a Bible, you should put a little box around that word. If you're borrowing one of our Bibles, I don't care, scribble in it. But it is important to make note of this. And this is a very little sneaky because maybe your Bible... Uh, translates a little differently, but this word actually means temptation. Let's read it that way. Blessed is the man who perseveres under temptation, because when he stood the temptation, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised. And this is the truth here that we need to recognize, that every trial, every anxiety, every fear comes with a temptation with it. Nice little neat, packaged up for you. Every circumstance comes with a temptation. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, under temptation. And it says, endure temptation and you will receive the crown of life. What is the crown of life? That sounds cool. I want that. Um, that word life there uh, is Zoe. And um, that's a, a, apparently a, a word in, in the, the Greek here. But it means God's highest. God's, Christ's highest and best. 
that you would experience the best with the crown of life. That, is, that means that you've arrived at a place of, of, of sonship with God. When you withstand temptation, you'll receive God's best. I'm going to read it one more time in context for the translation. Blessed is the man who perseveres under temptation because when he has stood the temptation, he'll receive God's best that God has promised to those who love him. Is that interesting? So every temptation, every temptation you have is also going to be rooted to be positioned for your weakness and your circumstances. And let's look forward. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. This is verse 13. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted by his own evil desires. He is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now what does that mean? That means that each of us have innate desires. Maybe your desire is for money. Maybe that's real. That's, that's a very common one. I don't, I don't blame someone for wanting that. I mean, it's such a fine line. But let's say you have an innate desire for money, and you come upon hard times, and now your bank account is, is looking pretty sad. Maybe you're in debt. And let's say you're in those circumstances, and that's your trial. Man, I have no money. I really want money, but I don't have it. And so now what's interesting is that there's going to be all these opportunities for you to cheat, to sin. You're going to be enticed with temptations that will help kind of pry you out of that. You'll be tempted based on your desires. If you have a desire for money, your circumstances are that you're hard up on money, you will be more enticed and tempted to steal, to cheat, to lie, to do some shady things. I know some people, they took on these crazy opportunities, opportunities, and were total scams because they were so money hungry. You hear those people that like, you know, some Nigerian prince, you know, sends you $10,000. You go cash it, send 5000 back, you know, those kind of deals. It's like, it's too good to be true. Um, you've been enticed by your desires, you temptation. And very desperate people fall for that all the time, every day. But when you, when you withstand the temptation, you'll receive God's best. And in those times, you'll have authority and honor for what you achieved. Let's continue. Verse 16. It says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Don't be deceived, right? This is key. Because everyone will tell you the opposite here. Don't be deceived. This is how you know when you're getting the peanut gallery of opinions. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth to the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits for all he created. Don't be deceived, dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from God. People will tell you, oh man, God must be punishing you. You know, oh, that, that's terrible. Oh, you know, you got a divorce. Oh, God must be really angry with you right now. You know, do you know people like that like to tell you that your poor circumstances are like, well, what unconfessed sin do you have? You know, why, why is God smiting me? You know, um, it's not legitimate. God is saying, I am the, the giver. I, I breathe life. I breathe hope. I give gifts. I'm a generous, good God. And so it is a shame if we ever look at our poor circumstances and we think it's the intentional work of God to put his thumb on us. It says, don't be deceived. God is a giving God who gives generously. But God's timing is not our timing. And maybe that's what we have a really difficult time with. Is that we're so impatient. We are so ready to just bust out. We want that, whatever it is around the next corner, we want it now. 
you know, a little kid, right? I want it now. And you, you know, you just get angry. And if it doesn't happen, you get more angry. And then, I mean, you just totally implode. I can't wait till we have kids to experience it. But I know it's coming because I used to be that kid, you know. When I wanted something, I wanted it so bad. And when it doesn't happen on our timing, how do we react? How is our attitude? Are we champ or chump? Do we throw pity parties? Or say, all right, God, I trust you. I have the fear of the Lord. I believe you that you are who you say you are and that you're going to work it out. No matter how long it takes, I believe that you have your best for me. If it takes me a lot longer than I ever thought, I believe at the end of it that you have a plan for my good and that you know what you're doing. I want to share a story with someone in our group about this. Sean, I can't see where you might be, but um, come on up here, and I want to share a little story, or have Sean share his story. Let's give a little hand. <laughs> about this man, and uh, I love this man. Hey, I, um, hey. You know how, like, you hear something good happens to somebody, and like, oh, I'm happy for you, but you're really not, you know? You're kind of saying that because it sounds good. I'm so stoked for this guy, and he's going to share a little bit of his story that the past 10, 11 months or so. When, where do I get one of those uh, cool mics? I think you have to buy from Britney Spears, so I just... <laughs> uh. All right, well, um, I'm supposed to give my testimony. God, it's bright. Um, anyway, I got out of college about a year ago, and I was convinced that I was going to get a great job. Like, American Dream is going to be dope. Um, I had a beautiful fiance. I had finished my undergrad in like two and a half years, got my master's. I mean, it was going to be great. I had, I think, two job offers, like opportunities before um, I graduated. And so, you know, I got really excited. And, um, and then I got out and found that it was quite the opposite. I, I basically had a year of unemployment. And I was just kind of going through all the things that he's talking about. Just, you know, a constant struggle to maintain my joy, my peace, all that great stuff. Um, at first, though, it was dope. I mean, it was, it was like an extended summer. But after, like, like, two, three months, maybe, I was like, all right, I'm done with this. I'm bored. Like, I've done everything I thought I was going to do. Um, and, you know, I started out with a horrible attitude, this sense of entitlement. Like, you know, I deserve this. I've worked hard. I've done these and this. And so, you know, even when I prayed, I'd say, God, I've done all these things that you said I was supposed to do. My, my dad is proud with my uh, achievements. Like, why don't I have a job? And, um, he just basically spent the next 10 months just punching me in the face with, you know, everything that I've ever, you know, prayed in passionate, like, you know, worship, you're like, God, make me this, and I'm terrible at this, and just throwing all these things out, and he actually was listening. He just punched my face for like 10 months. Um, basically, I have a giant list, and I'm not going to read them all, but, you know, pride, impatience, foolishness with money, lack of self-control, diligence, you name it, I, I had like some level of uh, work to be done in those areas, and tons more and so I basically what my dad said and he kind of went through the same thing uh, four years of unemployment after getting his PhD in economics and a master's in math so it's like kind of a family thing we, we do well and then we just you know have to be dealt with and um, basically he said what you can do at this point is either you know continue with the self-entitlement and just feel like you should deserve it or just kind of side with God on everything. And it kind of works out. If you, if you trust God and, you know, all the promises that he has in his word, um, it, he kind of gives you the ability to walk through it. And so I kind of worked it out with him. I spent a lot of time in devotions. I mean, when you're unemployed, you can only do so many things in a day. I, I can stand maybe two, three hours of TV before I'm, like, done. Like, just can't handle it. So, I mean, I, I began upping my devotions, upping my prayer, spending a lot more time in in the Word, and the greatest thing is, 
if you're ever in an argument with someone and they, they basically, uh, you know, you're selfish. And if you're like, no, then the argument goes for like three hours. But if you're like, yeah, I know, like it ends there. Like, <laughs> so basically what I did, basically what I did was, you know, every time God would start to surface something, I'd be like, yeah, I know, like I'll work on it. And instead of, you know, I don't know, I could only imagine what it would have been if I had like fought him constantly on all these things. I mean, unemployed for 15 years or whatever it was, but, um, you know, it was really good, um, and basically when I was reading this, I, uh, God, I'm scratching, I'm like a crack addict, it's weird, um, <laughs> yeah, um, and so one of the things that I found solace in throughout this whole process was the fact that his, his word is full of promises, I mean, just constant, you know, blessing this, and uh, I will keep you, and I'll make you the man of God that you have for me to be. So I really stood on those throughout the whole process. Um, but kind of referring back to James 1, this, it says, Count unto joy when you fall into various trials and it produces patience, blah, 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 to the fact that you'll get complete lacking nothing. And so, you know, I was reading that, and I was like, yeah, that's totally true, but how can I count it a joy? I mean, it sucks. I, I hated every minute of being unemployed because, I mean, I'm a, I, I do things. Like, I, I have to have ability to work. And so... Um, it kind of goes back to this thing I, I realized in college, which was, you know, I'm reading through the Bible and it says that God corrects the ones he loves and that he has a plan and a purpose. And it felt like, you know, everything I had done was easy. Like, I, I could see that I'm impatient, that I have anger problems, all these things. Why is he not, like, you know, beating me up about it? And so when he started dealing with me and, you know, three months into it, five months into it, I suddenly realized, like, sweet, God's actually, like, listening to my prayers, dealing with me, changing me. And it kind of gave me a, a weird amount of joy that, you know, I'm not on my own. I'm not going to continue trying to be, he's just going to do it. I mean, I basically, you see, it says in the Bible that he is the potter and we are the clay. And I spent, you know, most of my life trying to be both. And it doesn't make any sense. So now, um, you know, I'm, I've got that joy. But then also, if you look at the last part, it says that he will make you complete lacking nothing. And I wouldn't say that I'm com complete and I'm certainly not lacking nothing. That doesn't even, like really, it's bad English, but, um, you know, now as I'm about to go into my marriage, I'm really excited about it. I've got a job. I'm going to tell you about that in a minute, but, you know, I feel like I've learned a lot of things that are necessary for, you know, marriage and all of these things, and so I'm kind of excited that, he, you know, as I learn patience, as I learn the things that he has for me, like, he, he is growing me into the person that I have to be. So anyway, um, apart from this, the, the idea that um, he's dealing with me, or actually, I don't know how, where to go. Um, it's, you know, a year. i got to put it in, like, one piece of paper. But um, throughout this entire process, you know, he's teaching me things. But at the same time, like, I'm applying for everything under the sun. I, I flew to D.C., drove to San Diego, Santa Barbara, like, spending money on gas. Like, I'm just broke. I've had $6 for God knows how long. Like, and, and so, you know, he's teaching me this, this patience and this perseverance and just kind of trusting him. And it, it sucks. Like, day in, I get shortlisted everywhere I go. They interview me. They take me in, like, and they say, you're our number one candidate. It's going to be great. I've had people offer me money, tell me when to move. Like, and then it always came to nothing. And I was, it was just so many times that I could have blamed God. And it was totally Satan's like, plan for my life to, you know, if he can beat me off enough, if he can get me to at one time like, turn against God, then I'm, I'm bone for life. So it was really just a constant struggle to, you know, stick to his word, stick to his promises. Um, and kind of my favorite verse to pray was, uh, verse 17, it says, Every good and perfect work, or no, perfect gift comes up down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And in that is so much. I mean, 
No variation. I mean, he's the same. So his promises are true. Like, he uses his word to your benefit. It's, it's amazing. And then just every good and perfect thing. If you keep in your mind that, yes, he's working on me, but he has a plan. He has a purpose. He's trying to do something. Then you can see past your, your small things. It's kind of like what Eric was saying, looking down all the time. If you stick to some of these promises, like, it gives you the strength to look past. And so, you know, after, well, basically, like, last Thursday, I got two job offers. God knows what I said in the morning to, like, warrant this. But um, I just, I don't know, I got two job offers within two hours of each other, and both of them were, like, phenomenal job offers. And so, you know, it was kind of like, this is basically my end of my testimony is the fact that uh, he taught me a lot of things. And then I guess what I said in the morning was, God, like, you're God. You can teach me regardless of whether, you know, I have a job or not. So there's no point for me to be agonizing over and constantly praying for this job. I need to, like, I'm sick of, like, fixating on it. And he's been really good about it. And so, you know, I got two jobs within two hours of each other. And now, like, you know, I'm excited about marriage. I've got all sorts of things to plan. I'm hopefully going to be moving out of my parents' place soon. And, like, it's just amazing that, you know, God provides. And it's kind of a God, it's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. I mean, uh, a week ago, I would have been laughing at someone's face if they told me that I'm going to turn down 60K in a company car. Like, that's ridiculous. Where am I going to do that? And so now I'm actually doing that. Like, for every time that I've been denied by a company and they write me that little letter that's like, you know, a paragraph long, you know, whenever you get a packet, you're excited and you get like one, one sheet of paper, you're dang it. So anyway, I've gotten that enough times that I know what it is. And now I got to write that, like, two-line email to some boss and say, sorry, I'm not interested. So, I mean, that's really what God's going to do. And what I've, what I've learned throughout the process is that, um, and this isn't me, this is my dad saying that, he's not interested at all in your personal circumstances. Like, he doesn't care what car you're driving, what house you're in. He's interested in your character. And so he's going to work on that. And if you work with him, then it'll speed the process and you'll get to the blessings that he has for you. So that's it. I love that. And it's not even just that he got a couple of jobs. Like, they, they started out low, and they started bidding on top of each other. And it was amazing. Like, it was like watching, like, an auction. Do I hear you? You know, and, like, who's going to do what now? And, and it, was, it was so cool to kind of sit back and watch and being with Sean and praying with them for the past several months and just being like, all right, God, we know that you have your best at the end of this. And Sean said something that was told to me a long time ago is that when you go through these circumstances, who you become during the circumstances and through it is more important than what's waiting for you on the other side. Is that the pursuit of the other side will refine you into somebody that God is so much more concerned about than whatever the details are that you're going after. I find that liberating. <clears throat> so, are you champ or chump? Here's a couple little truths from, from me regarding this, and, and the reason we approach this is because we think that we want, or <laughs> I think that the Word of God gives us every instruction that we need for life, and so that's why we go through here and we pick it apart, is I want to be a, a group in a community that knows the word, just not cherry-picking some verses, you know, that we study this and that all of us are experts in the first 18 verses of James. And so from that truth, <clears throat> I want to kind of share with you guys a, a couple personal details um, about how to navigate this. And uh, the first one is uh, to address the fear. Because I think that every single issue for attitude that you have, every anxiety, every circumstance— Every poor, you know, response, everything you had, <clears throat> somewhere in there is rooted in fear. Maybe it's fear that, you know, money. Well, why do you fear money? Well, because this. Well, well why is that? Well, why, you know, you, you just keep on asking. As soon as you have, like, a question, you know, like, a, again, little kids, like, they ask why, 
all the time. <clears throat> why is this the sky blue? You know, he'd tell him, why? Well, because of this, why? You know, about 10 times after, you're like, shut up, I don't, you know. It's like, you need to do that with your fear. You need to look at this and it's like, why does this, this totally ravage me? Okay, and you get a little answer. Well, why that? And, and this, and why that? And so, I'm just telling you, address the fear. Somewhere there's not about the circumstances. Whatever the circumstances are, there's some fear that you're holding on to. Address the fear. Number two is put your circumstances to work. Put your circumstances to work. I'd like to share a really quick story with you guys. This is in Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 19. If you don't want to turn there, that's fine, but I'm going to read this. This is awesome. Luke 19, verse 11. Put your circumstances to work. What does that mean? Where is chapter 19? There it is. All right. Luke 19, 11 to 26 says, and this is talking about Jesus, while they were listening to Jesus, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Everyone say at once. So they had zero patience. They wanted the kingdom of God. Now, where, now, how, now? You know, they wanted it now. They thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And so Jesus recognizes their impatience. And he's going to address them within this parable. This is awesome. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and to then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Ten minas. Uh, a mina is worth about 50 shekels. Uh, 50 shekels times 10 is 500 shekels. That's about $130, all right? So uh, he came back and he says, I'm going to give you 10, 10 mina, $133. And I lost my place. Uh, okay, there we go. And he called the servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. You notice that these individuals, they thought the kingdom of God was coming at once, and now they're being told a parable of individuals that were given something, had a responsibility, but they didn't like the circumstances. Their attitude sucked. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Again, we don't have control over our circumstances oftentimes. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. $133. You hate me. Just don't suck when I come back. You didn't suck. I give you 10 cities. How awesome is that? Is that their attitudes were so sour and so bitter. They hated it. And here you have individuals that have their circumstances and they put their circumstances to work and God honored it in multiple folds. $133, I now give you 10 cities. What's the multiplication on that? Huge. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. 
Then another, another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. He's passing judgment on the circumstances, on the character of the king now. This man who's given money and given responsibility in circumstances he didn't like is now lecturing the king now. He's telling him how he makes his money and how that's wrong. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so when I came back it could have collected interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for those who have nothing, even what he has will be taken away. How heavy is this? <clears throat> Putting your circumstances to work. If you don't like the place that you live, work as hard as you can and be obedient because God has a multiplication factor on the obedience of your circumstances. If you have a sour attitude and you're lecturing God about how this wasn't the plan, I'm not supposed to do this, or I'm not supposed to do that, I don't see God really rewarding that. In fact, it didn't end up very good for them. And so as we look at our, 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 our point here is to put our circumstances to work is that these people, the parable that Jesus was telling them to, had bad attitudes. And they were a now culture, just like we are. We want everything on demand. If I go somewhere and the internet's slow, it is like hell for me. I'm just like, are you kidding me? You know, and it's amazing how like we want something so fast and instantaneous. It's like, you get a phone, it's like, it's going slow. It's like going to space and back, you know, like give it a break. But we're so driven on, on technology and culture. And here, these guys had sand and camels and all sorts of archaic things. But the, the principle for us is the same, is that whatever our circumstances, if you hate your job, do your job unto the Lord. For he has a multiplication factor on whatever your circumstances are to give you something outrageously amazing. When God comes back to you and you've said, God, I had this horrible job that stinks on ice, and here's what I did with it. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to give you even more in a multiplication factor to which you did not even think was possible. The third is don't withhold your worship. Don't withhold your worship from God. Right? He's the giver of all good things. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by the peanut gallery, Right? people who, who are clamoring in your ear about this and that. Don't be deceived. God is the giver of everything that's good. So why would we withhold our worship and adoration and praise when circumstances are not, not going so good? Is that not a crime? Is God saying, I am who I am? You either believe it or you don't. And I'm worthy of your praise, no matter what your circumstances. Don't withhold your praise. He didn't address that in the parable, but you wonder, like, the man who came back there and he judged the king about it. You reap what you don't sow. Is that what you are with God? God, you have not done this for me. God, this stinks and this and you need to do this. And I, th I think that's sometimes our attitude. And you wonder, man, could there be a better way with this? Don't withhold your worship. Don't take it out on God. <clears throat> I don't think it's received very well. I think in, in, in the opposite, as it says, consider it pure joy, is that in the tough circumstances, you up the praise, you up the worship, you up the adoration. You turn the volume up and you just, you run it. You're like, all right, double downtime. Because I believe that through praise and worship and honoring and adoration that God would bring that breakthrough even faster. 
can say, I love it that you are dealing with this circumstance like a champ. And now I'm going to reward you for it. It's biblical. And the last, and maybe I'll have the band come up, <clears throat> is uh, choose to be joyful and to take control of your attitude. You get to choose your attitude. No matter what the circumstances are, how are you responding? When something bad happens, okay, I can deal with that. And maybe something else bad happens, you can deal with that. And what about after that? How do you deal with like stumbling block after stumbling block after stumbling block? What is your attitude like? And I want to show a little video clip here. And it might be a little graphic. But I think it's perfect. I think this is the attitude that we should have. We should always be moving forward. We choose the attitude. We don't focus on whatever terrible thing just happened to us. We always focus on what God wants us to be, the attitude we want to have, and where God wants to take us. We never let ourselves off of the prize, which is Christ Jesus. And so if we have the video clip ready, maybe we can show it real quick. You fight with the strength of many men tonight. I am Arthur, King of the Britons. I seek the finest and the bravest knights in the land to join me in my court at Camelot. You have proved yourself worthy. Will you join me? You make me sad. So be it. Come, Patsy. None shall pass. What? None shall pass. I have no quarrel with you, good Sir Knight, but I must cross this bridge. Then you shall die. I command you, as King of the Britons, to stand aside. I move for no man. So be it. <laughs> Now stand aside, worthy adversary. Tis but a scratch. A scratch? Your arm's off. No, it isn't. Well, what's that, then? I've heard worse. You liar. Come on, you pansy. <laughs> Victory is mine. We thank thee, Lord, that in thy mercy... <laughs> Come on, then. What? How about you? You are indeed brave tonight, but the fight is mine. Oh, and enough, eh? Look, you stupid bastard, you've got no arms left. Yes, I have. Look! Just a flesh wound. <laughs> Look, stop that! Chicken! Chicken! Look, I'll have your leg. Right! Right, I'll do you for that. You what? <laughs> Come here! What are you going to do, bleed on me? I'm invincible! You're a loony. The Black Knight always triumphs! How about you? Come on, then. Oh. All right. We'll call it a draw. A <laughs> draw. Come, Patsy. Oh, oh, I see. Running away, eh? You yellow bastard! Come back here and take what's coming to you! I'll bite your legs off! 
It's just a flesh wound. It might be the best phrase in all of movie history. So, oh man, forgive us, Lord, for that. <clears throat> Anyways, <clears throat> uh, a, a little side note here is, is the reason I, I started with the despair and also ended with some Monty Python is I think that laughter is an amazing antidote for your circumstances. I think that too many people are so uptight about where they are and so focused and so focused on the discouragement they can completely lose sight of everything that's important. And I love laughter, and, and though it's you know, a little graphic, it, it helps us to laugh and to take a little ownership and perspective, and, and I think that's really important when we're dealing with our attitude, is to not take ourselves too seriously and find the ways in which we can laugh, find the ways in which we can take joy. It says, consider it joy. If you can't find joy in your job, then do everything you can to go and experience joy everywhere else and bring some of that joy to your job. But what you typically do is that you're not experiencing any joy in your job, and so you take all your sadness and bitterness from your job to home, and to your relationships, and to your friends, and then to your family. How would it be the other way around? Go ex experience the world in, in ways that bring you life and vitality and passion, and bring that to the places of darkness, of despair that bum you out. I promise you that you'll completely change the way that you perceive the difficult circumstances. And so we want to be a group that has fun. That's why a lot of the things we do are a little bit off the walls. We want to have a community, a group that does some crazy things. We give each other permission to act like third graders all the time, and that's intentional. It's that when we come in here and we're laden with careers, relationships, brokenness, we have all these different things that we can come to a place called Epic Life where we can just check the maturity aside and have some fun and embrace it. That is exactly wise because we want to have permission to have joy, and to bring that into other areas. And the last is to be imitators of Christ. This was the last point from, from last week about being bitter. Is be imitators of Christ. It says like the, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I saw a pastor at church do a little quiz like, does anybody know this off the top of your head? And uh, on Facebook and and uh, some people got it, and it was great. And it's, it's interesting because when we look at that, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's take anxiety. Anxiety is counter to those fruits. Anxiety is counter to joy, is counter to peace, is counter to patience. And if you can't control your attitude, then you don't have self-control. Attitude's a huge deal. If you can't own that, then you got issues. <laughs> All right, and last here. And talking about being imitators of Christ, Philippians 2 says this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Side note, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Death on a cross was the death of his physical life. He became obedient to death, meaning that he sacrifices his life. Whatever the circumstances, the details, Lord, I sacrifice it to you. It's, it's death to me. It's whatever you want, Lord. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and pray. So God, we thank you for tonight. Lord, we thank you for your truth. God, forgive us of where we've totally blown it. Lord, in our attitudes and 
our approach in, in God, withholding our worship. And Lord, tonight I just pray, Lord, that you would move in us, that you would birth a new attitude, that you would help us navigate through our circumstances, and Lord, that you'd help us to experience joy tonight. God, in our worship, that we would be overcome with joy from you tonight, that we'd be overcome with gratitude and thanksgiving and peace. God, you say, do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving to present a request to you. And so, Lord, if tonight we have issues, we need to come with you with anxious thoughts, that we would come to you with thanksgiving and lay it before you. And Lord, we know that you are the God who gives generously and gives the good gifts. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. One side note, if, if any of you guys need jobs, I want to have Sean come over here. And remember in the, the text, it says, if you can stand under this, if you can make it through that, you'll have the crown of life. If you've stood under the perseverance, the temptation, that God has given you the best of the best, and he's given you dominion and authority in that area, is we want Sean to be able to lay hands and just pray for you. We believe that when God moves supernaturally in, in someone, that have, they have an authority to pray over you for a supernatural breakthrough, so that is there. And if you have prayer for anything else, we'll be there. And let's just worship in thankfulness.